you got to take care of yourself this holiday season. And that means getting electrolytes without the junk. You don't need sugar in your electrolytes, so you got to try Drink LMNT today. Hundreds of you have taken advantage of this offer. You go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run, and you get a sample pack sent your way with six different flavors. You pay $5 shipping. If you don't like it, I will personally refund your 5 bucks. No one has taken me up on that offer. You know why? Because Let's Runners love this stuff. I bumped into one of you yesterday in the city. You said, hey, I tried Element, and I love it. Check it out today, and then you can worry about everyone else on your Christmas list. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. The 2021 cross-country season is in the books. European cross-country was held over the weekend in Dublin. It was a Norwegian sweep by Jakob Ingebrigtsen and Caroline Jokeli Grovedal. We had Club Nats down in Tallahassee. And we had the East Bay, formerly Foot Locker, cross-country championships out in San Diego with Riley Huff and Natalie Cook taking the titles there. We'll maybe get into some debates. Connor Mance versus Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who would win in a cross-country race. Talk over that. NCAA Indoors is going to be heading to Boston 2024. Home game for me, so that'll be fun. Ali Ostrander of the Brooks Beast has decided to step away from professional running. And we've got one, at least one, maybe multiple Rojo's rants on the docket. So stay tuned for those. This is Jonathan Galt, joined by my bosses and co-hosts, Robert and Weldon Johnson. And guys, special anniversary for me. It's December 15th, exactly 20 years since I moved to the United States. So I've now lived 20 years of my life in the US and 10 years in England. I've been here twice as long. It's pretty crazy. Congratulations, John. Which country do you like better, John? It's always the tough question. I, I like them both in their own ways, Robert. I'm a dual citizen. I don't like to play favorites. It's like picking my favorite Johnson brother. British girls, you don't want them to become too Americanized. You need to send them text, get them back over there. Is that inappropriate? Anyways, I'm fired up to be here, guys. But before we get into the show, a reminder, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, we like to hear from you. Give us a call, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. If you haven't joined the Supporters Club, please do so now. This is the perfect time to join because Supporters Club members, I have an announcement to make. I'm going to be giving you all a free Christmas gift. And you don't have to be Christian to get it. If you're Jewish, it can be a Hanukkah gift. If you're Muslim, it can be, I'm not sure what the name of the winter holiday would be. Hell, if you're atheist, I'll even send you the gift. I really wanted to send you guys a shirt, but I'm just afraid I'm going to be sued into Bolivian if I make the shirt that I really want to make. So I'm trying to get it trademarked before I produce it. So I've decided to go with beanies. Let's run.com beanies, little winter caps for everybody. I think Walden thinks that's a good idea. We also may be making long sleeve shirts, but we can't get them in time. So you won't have this gift by Christmas, but... I'll be sending it out soon, so join the Supporters Club now, and I'll send that to you as well. But we're going to need to know if you want one. So check the VIP Supporting Club forum 
for the ordering information. John, a couple of things. That was diplomatic, saying you couldn't pick your favorite twin. I actually, I met with the evil twin brewery guy yesterday, guys. Robert's probably not aware of this because he doesn't check his emails. But I, I can't even say the Danish name. Yeppe is his first name. And I may branch off, take my side of Let's Run, partner up with Yeppe, and I'm pretty sure Jonathan Galt will go with me. I think Jonathan Kellogg, John Kellogg will go with Robert, and we'll just have two rival companies going at it. So, John, you will probably Jan 1, you'll be forced to make a decision which way you go. Just a little heads up there. But we kind of know how that's going to go. And, John, you didn't mention, we have the great, the forever young Nick Willis on today's podcast at the end, talking about the Midnight Mile at the Armory. New Year's Eve, Nick will be trying to run a record 20th straight sub four minute mile or 20th year of straight sub four minute miles it's a cool event there's miles beforehand for the masses if you don't want to run yourself you can just buy a ticket there's going to be a beer garden the evil twin actually may be there i was just talking to him i mentioned it and he's like oh yeah we may be sponsoring that so fun time by all i'm pretty sure i'm gonna be there as well i just gotta check a couple boxes with the wife speaking of boxes hey have you guys ordered the runnerbox.com it's not too late. The perfect Christmas gift. You get over $50 of running goodies every other month delivered to your box. You can order a one-off box if you want for somebody. It can cost as little as $28. Check it out. Use code Let's Run 21 to save $10 on the box. Oh, wow. They actually shipped Robert one because he complained on the podcast. Robert, have you opened it up yet? No, I was going to open it at the start of the show. I hear people, people love to hear it opening, but... Do they? I really don't when you guys do those ad reads that I way. I feel like we've done a long intro, so I will hold off on that. But, well, then, uh, let's just go to the... We have to do this every podcast. Uh, you know, I always say John Barry's the lead. Weldon's burying the lead. We're thinking about splitting up Let'sRun.com. Weldon and I have been having disagreements. Weldon kind of just mentioned it, but it wasn't clear. He said... Oh, by the way, we, we need to be on our best behavior because apparently, John, people do listen to this podcast. Like last week, Weldon said we need to have an official beer, and one of the top brewers in the world contacts Weldon. And we're into that. So people are listening to us, John. But Weldon said, let's split, after meeting with this guy, he's like, let's split the website. He's going to take the run. I'm going to take the let's part. I take John Kellogg. He takes you, John. <sighs> Anyways, but since people do listen to this, we asked for a, a brewer to listen to us. I need a lawyer. And I've been afraid to admit this for some time now. What was it? Two weeks ago, I was raving about the super shoes, how I ran minutes faster than I have in years. About two weeks ago, no, about 10 days ago, I ran for them in the second time. I have torn my soleus and I'm out. I think I'm going to be out for like a month. And I didn't want to tell the podcast listener that sent me the shoes that I will be suing his company. I'm not going to sue him individually. He sent them to me nicely. He was well-intentioned. But the company that makes these shoes has deep, deep, deep pockets. So if Larry Nasser's insurance companies are forced to pay $888 million for one dude's actions, imagine how much I can get from this company. 
I mean, Robert, I just hope you have a fund of money that you're willing to light on fire because that's how this lawsuit's going to proceed if you actually move forward with it. How come? What do you mean? that If someone makes a faulty car and, and you have an accident, you get sued. If somebody makes a shitty shoe and, and I tear my so, tore, tore my soleus. I mean, admittedly, the whole time, the whole run, my leg was hurting. I'm like, oh, it's hurting. What could possibly happen? Pop. Yeah, this sounds like one of the one of Kramer's light lawsuits from Seinfeld where he hires the Johnny Cochran similar Jackie Childs, that's the guy. You know. That basically that this is going to end with hilarious consequences and you're gonna get nothing. So that's my prediction if you actually move forward with this lawsuit. Okay. Let's move on from Robert's lawsuit talk. I think we've got to throw our bone to our European listeners. Let's start with European cross country because the one and only, the wonder kid, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, 18 years of age, 19 years of age, 21. What? Nice try, Walter. 21. Got up there quickly. Yeah, he didn't win the Olympics at 18. That was kind of stupid. Uh, but see, this proves once you have a child, John. Walden's had a child for almost two years now. Like those years are a blur, so you lose track of time. But the Olympic 1500 meter champion, he takes steps up to the 10K and takes this thing down pretty convincingly. Yeah, I watched the race. It was it was fun to watch. Like if you you tuned in, it was like around eight fifteen in the morning. U.S. Eastern time. We had my buddy Cal Haldenahy on the call with uh, Hannah England, I believe. They were doing a great job. And it was fun to watch. I mean, there was a nice course in Dublin. They had a lot of crowd support out there. And Ingebrigtsen, he just looks so easy. And it was very interesting. I'll get to this. We'll have this comparison in a minute. Ingebrigtsen versus Mance. But it was so interesting to compare his form. Mance is just fighting the entire way. His torso is heaving. Looks like he's hurting from step one. Ingebrigtsen never betrays any sort of pain or suffering. He just looks like he's cruising. He's in control the whole time. And even when he made his move on the last lap to drop Aris Kaya of Turkey, it, it was a barely perceptible move. It didn't look like his effort increased at all. It was just suddenly Jakob was running away from him. And yeah, he, he essentially just stuck on him for the first four laps or so. And then the last lap, Pulled away, one by 14 seconds, job done. It was, it was very impressive to watch. And obviously, you know, the best cross-country runners in the world are in Africa and not in Europe, but it was a dominant victory. And on the women's side, it was a sweep for Norway. Caroline Bjorkeli, Grovedal, who earlier this year thought she had broken the 5K world record on the roads, turned out the course was short. She gets a gold medal here. So it's pretty cool to see the the Norwegian sweep. And I just want to say this event, like Eurocross, we need an analog to this event in the United States. A lot of the European run, like most of the top European runners will run this race. It's something, it's not as if they're like peaking for it in the same way as they would peak for the Olympics, but it's something they can point their full training towards and just sort of have it as a payoff. And it's a fun event. People get into it. There's national pride on the line. It would be kind of fun if there was some equivalent of that in the United States. Like maybe you move USA Cross to the full, and that's the culmination of everyone's full racing season is to run USA Cross. And maybe that's happening this year because I've I'm starting to hear rumblings. Like I've been listening to the Coffee Club podcast with the On Athletics Club people. 
Joe Klecka is going out there to run USA Cross. It's January 8th in San Diego. Alicia Monson's going out to run it. That's two U.S. Olympians. You, we know that Scott Simmons usually sends his guys out there. So maybe they'll have a good USA Cross this year. I don't know. But it just feels like it would be cool to have an event like Eurocross on the U.S. racing calendar. Here's a radical idea. I'm going to take over as Al Franken's reincarnation, promoting the sport. Since we have world cross country and world indoors every other year now, we should just do one or the other. I know we're going to have indoor track every year at some level, you know, the sprinters and stuff, but this year's world indoors. So who cares about USA cross? Everybody skip it next year. It's all about cross country, all pros, no meat should be allowed to have any distance races, period. You must run cross country, and we all celebrate that. Well, I think there is a problem with that, Robert, is in 2023 and 2024, there's going to be both world indoors and world cross. So people are going to have to choose. Well, I'm just saying in general, my my idea of have one or the other. But hats off to Mr. Anka Britton. I mean, we're going to have 10 Rojo's rants on this thing, but the American stars seem like they can only be bothered to run outdoors a lot of the time. Jenny Simpson's gone an entire career without hardly running indoors. People can't be bothered to do cross country. Galen Rupp has never set foot at world cross country as a professional. Has he John? No. Although he did run us cross a few years back as a pro. So, well, we can't race much. We can only race in the summer. We can't be bothered to do anything the rest of the year. The boy Wonder, though, he can be bothered to do it. And he won it. And he dominated. But is it really a surprise that he dominated? I mean, the guys behind him, you know, they're not terrible runners, but their 5,000 meter PRs are 1323, 1310, and 1308. In case you guys have forgotten, Mr. Ingebrigtsen has run 12.48. Now, I know this is 10K, but just props to him for A, doing this event, B, running in the senior race. He could have run in the under-23 race. I bet some Americans would have done that just to keep their ego in check and see if we're dominating. Well, I'm interested to see the winner of the under-23 race was Charles Hicks from Stanford, who was a really good runner. He was fourth at NCAA Cross, and he runs for Great Britain, even though he went to high school in Florida. He's kind of like me. He's dual citizen, I believe. So I would have been really interested to see how he would have done in the senior race because we do have some points of comparison. I think there was a whole thread about Brian Fay from the University of Washington. He was 10th at Eurocross, but then he was 38th at NCAA Cross Country. And that kind of gets to this thread that I thought was really interesting was who wins in a 10K cross-country race right now, Connor Mance or Jakob Ingebrigtsen? And the the forum was very much in favor of the thoughts. This isn't even going to be close. You know, Jakob's run 1248. You know, it's going to be a blowout. He's just so much more talented. And I, I tend to agree, but I would say these two things are in Mance's favor. A, if you put it on a really tough course, I think that's going to help Mance. B, Mance is like totally peaked for cross country like a couple weeks ago. Like Jakob Ingebrigtsen, he's peaking for the world championships next year. He's not peaking for Euro cross country in December. So in terms of like what they're focusing on right now, yeah. But I don't know. I, I just have a hard 
it's hard for me to envision Mance being able to drop Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who's run 1248 for 5K. What do you guys think? It's hard to envision it, John, but I guarantee you one damn thing. He'd certainly try. I would love to see it. If, if we put some of this stuff into context, Robert, you said, you know, the, the runner-up at Eurocross was Aris Kaya. He's run 1323 and 2748, which is almost identical to Mance's PR's 1324 and 2741. But those PR's for Kaya were from six years ago. You know, this year he's only run 1349 and 2845, so nothing crazy. But then third place, Jimmy Gressier, he's run 1308 and 2743 from the roads from 2019. So he ran 1308 this year. And then if you also compare Brian Fay, I mean, he, he's the, the common denominator between these two races. Ingebrigtsen beat him by 30 seconds at European Cross. Mance beat him by 56 at NCAAs. Now, you might say he had a better race comparatively at European Cross Country, but I don't know. I, I don't think that Mance-Ingebrigtsen degree is totally insane. Like, who's the more talented runner? It's Ingebrigtsen. But at a 10K Cross Country race right now, I think it's closer than people think. Yes, if they ran last weekend, like the, the man Ingebrigtsen doesn't get to train, like he, Ingebrigtsen doesn't get focused on as his peak. I think he could be closer than you think. I, well, I'll, I'll say one thing though. This is interesting. I definitely think the NCAA cross country meet is a, is a deeper, better meet than than the European cross country meet. I mean, people seem surprised by that. Some people were, and, and I put it in the week that was like the NCAA cross country meet is the deepest ten k race in the in the world, without a doubt. I was trying to compare it to like the half half marathon in in Japan, a JO half or whatever it's called, you know, maybe a hundred place there. We were comparing that. We were converting the hundredth place, like sixty-two minute ten k half marathon, to a ten k and what hundredth that NCAs would be, and they're kind of similar. By the way, folks, if you're not following us already on Twitter, you need to because, well, I guess they may broadcast it on everything. I'm going to start doing daily live broadcast here from the office. I'm looking out the window now. The school that we have trained to come eat at the window has come to, he has recognized John Kellogg and run over to get his little, are those pecans or walnuts, John? They're walnuts. This squirrel is quite smart. If John goes out to the dumpster, he'll see him from like across the yard and like run to the window, follow him around. Wow, it's the same squirrel every day. John, do we know if it's the same squirrel every day? Anyways. Robert, I am a little concerned. I mean, maybe I shouldn't be if I'm branching off with this new Weldon Johnson initiative in 2022. But if you start doing a daily like video show from your office or your apartment, I feel like without me and Weldon to reel you in and with live video, you could be canceled within two weeks. That's true, but uh, you know, I'm not, not. I don't really drink at the office. Be more, more, da- more worrisome if it was at night at home. But I was fired up when I came in here, so I was afraid that I would go off in so many rants that I would get fired. I feel like there's not a lot to rant about this week, but originally I thought Jakob would just trounce Connor. That's not the fair word, but I'm like, oh, Jakob would win. But there's some question marks to me. Oh, 10k, whatever. I think it'd be a pretty good race. But I think Jakob could just sit on him as long as possible, then he'd probably outkick him. But I'm not 100% certain about cross-country. If Connor had time-trialed the USA Half Marathon Championships and got closer to one hour, 
Maybe. But come on, don't you guys think Jakob Ingebrigtsen could run an... What's his half marathon? What do you think he'd run a half in right now? I think he'd probably run low 60s. I wouldn't be shocked if he broke 60 minutes, to be honest. Yeah, neither would I. And because of that, I, I, I'm, I'm taking him in this race. But for me, the bigger picture, I like... I mean, Norway's a small country. There is this pride people have in going to represent their country. So I, I just I really think it's cool that all these European stars go do Eurocross. And then I noticed, you know, a bunch of like junior athletes and colleges here go back and run it. It's just it's part of the running culture in Europe and I think it's it's a cool thing. It is sort sort of too bad we don't have something here. Your half marathon point is a good one. I mean I've said it on the podcast, based on his threshold testing that's never really been released, but supposedly it's so high. Maybe the crazy thing is, could it be that the Olympic 1500 meter champ, his best event isn't even the 1500? His best event is really the half marathon or something like that? I mean, 1248 is pretty damn good. So imagine if he's a Ryan Hall or a, one of these people that's really in the wrong event. I mean, it certainly doesn't look like it, but he's not super fast at 800. And in the talk with Nick Willis that you guys will hear at the end of this podcast, Nick had some, some pretty interesting comments about Jakob. And one, he's like, look, how long is the kid going to be around? How long is he, is he going to stay motivated? Nick made it sound like the 2024 Olympic 1500 meter is wide open. Because he's like, look, this kid's already a millionaire. What you think he'll be motivated by then? I'm like, two years from now? Yes, I do. I don't think it's going to be a problem. And Nick's like, the intensity the kid trains at, I'm not sure how sustainable it is. Almost more mentally. people been saying that about Jakob? Since like, oh, he was training this intensity when he was 16, when he was the youngest person to ever break four minutes for the mile. And then the next year at 17, he wins the Euros in the 1500 and the 5K. And everyone's like, oh, shoot, now he's the best in Europe. But like, maybe he'll, maybe that's it. Maybe that's as good as he gets. And then he just keeps getting better. Like, I feel like it's more likely that Jakob breaks the world record next year than it is that he's like out of the sport by 2024. That's kind of crazy talk. But I think with super shoes, John, it's not out of the question because Nick also talked about Josh Kerr running 327 next year. And if Josh Kerr can run 327, I think that means Jakob can run even faster, which puts you in world record territory. I don't think motivation because he's rich is going to be an issue. I mean, I think that he's young. He loves to compete. He's going to these events. He tries different things. Hell, this guy would move up to the half marathon. Why, why wouldn't he competing? And I don't think that the intensity is high. I mean, John Kellogg and I were talking extensively with, with Ben Renero de Haan, former Cornell runner now runs for, I think the Netherlands. Um, what are you running the marathon, John? What are his PRs? He's a thirteen twenty two thirteen flat marathoner. He used to run at Cornell for, for us. And then Anyways, he's familiar with Ingen Benson's training. He's like, do you realize what the guys do do a lot of? And we said, no. He's like, they do tons of threshold work, but they do it like at half marathon pace, so it's even sub-threshold. But they'll do it like twice a day. So I don't think it's that intense. They just do a ton of volume at it. So it's not really intense. They just do way more than what people used to do. I mean, it's kind of the, the Salazar concept of do a race and then a workout. These guys are now doing like threshold, which John and I think is the key to training but they're doing it twice a day on the workout days, which is kind of interesting. Robert, that's exa- I, didn't, I don't know if I told you that, but that's exactly what Nick says. He's like, look, they do two and a half hours of threshold work. That's 
five times 30 minutes. He goes, there's seven days a week, so that means they got to be doubling up. But whatever it is, it's working. Well, one other thing, I thought this was very interesting. I read an article this week by Matt Wisner, and he spoke to Gert Ingebrigtsen about Jakob. And I found this, it was a really interesting read because one of the things he said, I'll just quote from the article. It's a quote, maybe I'll run for another year, Jakob has told his father. Maybe I'll run for two years. I don't know. I can't see myself running in 10 years. I will do something else with my life. And I found that was very interesting. He was basically saying like, when Jakob first got into running, you know, this girl came to their door and wanted to hang out with Jakob and Gert told him, no, you don't have time to hang out with girls. You know, you have to be focused on training. And Jakob's just said, no, I, I want to be a kid. You know, I want to be, have a normal life. I, I want to hang out with girls, that sort of thing. Now that girl is his fiance and now he's the best in the world in the 1500. But I do think that this article kind of shows there might be more to life for Jakob Ingebrigtsen than running. He has already reached the pinnacle of the sport and won the Olympics. If he breaks the world record, maybe he does choose to walk away. I don't know. But I found that quote from Gert revealing. Here's my advice. Anyone who's in this predicament of, oh, it's such a sacrifice. I think he should quit. Win double gold and another gold in 2024. Take 2025 off and then see if you miss it or not. I mean, I had a kid at Cornell one time. He's like, oh, such a sacrifice. I'm like, you know, running is a gift. It's fun. To have some, I had a girlfriend once. She said, it must be so wonderful to wake up and be, have something that you're passionate about. Most people aren't pumped to do something. Now, if you've accomplished everything, I can kind of see why you might think it's a chore, but you go do something else and you get tired of drinking and smoking or whatever you're doing, being lazy, you might come back to it. I mean, hello, Rob Gronkowski? Guy retired at what, 30? Well, didn't, he didn't stay out for very long. That's an NFL reference for you, European, Australian. We should read off a list. On January 1st, all the, all the countries we have VIP supporting club members from, it's quite impressive. But I actually agree with that. Like, the mindset of, does he need to do it till he's 40? Hell no. If he wants to quit and do something else, go ahead. Well, look at El Garouge. Didn't El Garouge retire when he was 30 years old? He had the world record. He had the Olympic title. And then he just walked away. Okay, there we go. You brought up the name. I know I was going to say it before. When you said he's going to walk away, I said, I know what the cynics are thinking. I know there's a small minority of people in our sport that think these Ingebrigtsens, the Norwegians, it's not like that country doesn't have a history of drug use in it. It does. And they're thinking, yeah, he's going to walk away one step ahead of the drug testers. So I know what the cynics were thinking. And then when you bring up Al Garouche, they're thinking they're doubling down on that sentiment. So, all right. That is not the direction I was going. I just wanted to make a comparison of two of, of someone who walked away from the sport early. Obviously there are suspicions about Al Garouche. I mean, there's obviously going to be suspicions about anyone who wins the Olympic 1500 meters, but I wasn't trying to draw that comparison about doping or anything. I was just saying he retired at an early age. You guys are touching on so many good things here. And a lot of these things sort of came up with Nick. Because he's like, look, the mental side, mentally, it's draining. And Nick's like, look, I, I don't get mentally jazzed up to compete. I, if Centro beats me, I don't care anymore. And he's like, that's what used to drive me. He's like, but I love training, going to the track, being part of the group. But the competitive thing is missing. And I think all this touches on sort of like the mental motivation to run. 
and one of the issues with running is Robert, you take off a year, it's really it's harder to come back then than I think in other sports because you've lost the aerobic component. And it'll be interesting to see what Kiprup can do this year. And I asked Nick about Kiprup, and he's like, look, I think he was suspended justly. But he's like, earlier in his career, I don't think he was doping. I People in the know said, I think this guy's clean. So that would beg the question, why would you start doping? Maybe it's a shortcut to get back from time off. Then just in general, like, who's doping? For all the cynics out there, am I just going to give away the Nick Willis talk? All the, all the points right now? But Nick's like, I never judge someone by how fast they run. It's their associations. Well, it is going to be interesting because next year we've got Asbel Kiprop coming back. We've got Christian Coleman coming back. I think we have Elijah Manningoy coming back, the 2017 world champion in the 1500. He had whereabouts violations. It's the year of the comeback, baby. So it's going to be fascinating to see how these people do. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Manningoy is able to step in. He's 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 only 28 at this point. I guess he turns 29 next year. But you know, he has a good training set up if he's back with Bernard Umer and Timothy Chariot. Kiprop, I'm a little more skeptical. His ban was a lot longer. But And Christian Coleman, I expect Christian Coleman to step in and he's going to run an indoor season next year, I think. I, th- I think he'll probably run well indoors. I expect him to stop it, step in and be right back at the top of the sport. But it's going to be fascinating to see how these athletes do. All right, I've been promised Rojo's rant. I see this on our notes document. Robert says he has multiple topics he wants to rant about. I'm going to give you the floor, Robert. What's on your mind? I want to hear a rant. Thank you for playing the music, Weldon. We're recording the podcast an hour late. I was really pumped. I was driving into the office early. I was going to get here an hour before the podcast, get my notes, get my Rojo secret take so I could embarrass you guys and have certain things you would know I was talking about. And then the phone rings. My wife, honey, I need some help. The car's in trouble. All the lights are on. And she does say, oh, that's low on gas. So I'm like, did you run out of gas? She's like, I've got to go. I've got to walk to the meeting. I'm five minutes away. My God. Anyways, I drive down there. Have you guys seen a gas tank? Do you guys know how hard it is to put the gas from the new gas tanks into the damn car? I thought for sure I could make it down there and come back. It was only 20 minutes away, 20 minutes there, 20 minutes. Just going, I'll be in time. No. I had to YouTube how to put the gas from the portable gas tank into the regular gas tank. And think there's some like country bumpkin who knows everything about cars. He's like, these new gas tanks are ridiculous. There's no instructions on it. If I hadn't had this YouTube video, I don't think I would have ever gotten the gas from the, from the thing. We'll put the link to the YouTube on the show notes. You have to push this button down really hard. There's no instructions. It's a joke. So that pissed me off. But what really pissed me off was, I don't know, I had to go to the bathroom. I would have been in the office. I would have been able to go here. I'm out on the road, and I had to go number two. And I had to go bad. I started looking around, like, were there woods or something I could go to? Anyways, we get the car sort of started. I'm driving it to the gas station. I'm like, sir, do you have a gas station? Do you have a, a, a bathroom? Urinal only. I'm like, that won't do, sir. He's like, go next door to the smoothie place. I run to the smoothie place. I know they have a bathroom because I've been there. But there's like chairs blocking it off. I'm like, 
excuse me, sir, ma'am, can you can I please use your bathroom? I'll order a smoothie right now. Strawberries, uh, peanut butter smoothie. Sir, the bathroom is closed. It's an emergency. I really need to use the bathroom. Sir, it's a COVID thing. Uh, that's it. I'm done. I'm so done with COVID. I'm triple vaxxed. I can't use the bathroom. I said, sir, I will give you $5 right now if I can use this bathroom. Sir, I'd love to, but you, we may be fired. I ran up the street. Thankfully, that place is a, the bagel place where I go a lot. She recognized me. I'm like, can I use your bathroom? She said, yes, sir. And then when I came back, I apologized to the guy at the Smoothie King. He's, he's nice. He's like, sorry, buddy. I don't want to get fired. I said, yeah, I get it. But I was afraid I was going to have to go in your parking lot, buddy. I'm confused. It's a COVID thing. I Thank you, John. You're the follow the science. No wonder people don't get in the vax. Follow the science. What science is there that a closed one person bathroom is spreading COVID? I have no idea, Robert. Well, I was under the impression that one of these rants may be tangentially running related. I guess I was wrong, but I did enjoy listening to the travails of Robert Johnson. Well, I mean, John, that was when we split off. I know there's a certain dynamic between you and Rojo, but people, is that what people really signed down to listen to today? Like, I guess I'll leave it in because it's the holiday season. We don't have as much to talk about. But we're going to have like, man, we're going to have some new visitors, you know, when we have guests. And that's what they're going to hear in the podcast today. Probably should scratch it. My apologies. We usually talk about running, people. Yeah, John did do a good job of the intro, I think. He should have said, this is the Let's Run.com track talk podcast where we make, analyze the week of running. No, what's the phrase that you like to use, Robert? You make a boring sport interesting. I think that's what you've said in the past. My other Rojo rant would be about how no one is getting, no one is, no journalists except for Clay Travis are willing to criticize this transgender swimmer, swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania. But I don't think I really want to go there, but I think I will put a, a link in the show notes to a great video clip from Clay Travis explains it all, but I don't know. It, it's pretty interesting to me. My son is four yesterday, right before bed, he was looking at his class photo and he was just going, boy, boy, girl, girl, boy, boy, girl. He thought it was interesting to identify them as boys and girls. How did he know how these athletes identified themselves as? Cool. All right. So, uh, all right. One more thing I wanted to talk about from Eurocross is another Scandinavian phenom here. The winner of the under 20 boys race was from Denmark. He's got an amazing name, Axel Van Christensen. And he's only 17 years old. So, you know, remember Jakob was winning this thing when he was 16. This guy is the equivalent of a senior in high school. And he, he's already run as a junior in high school, ran 7.59 for 3K indoors and 13.44 for 5K outdoors. So, well, you, you, you keyed me into this to this guy and his performance. I, I was blown away. He won this race by 25 seconds, and he's already got these insane PRs. I mean, it's pretty impressive stuff. Okay, John, thank you for the little hat tip there, because I was like, whoa, nuh-uh. John's never heard of this guy until I just mentioned him before this podcast started. Well, I didn't realize he won by over 20 seconds. 
I was just meeting with Yeppe, and he was talking about, he's like, I want these Danish kids to come re- race the Newberry Park guys. He's like, get them at Milrose. I was like, what? Is there a good Danish guy? He's like, yeah, I think these Danish guys would beat them. There's another one, too. But I didn't realize he won the under 20 by 20 seconds. I, you know, I, knew he, I heard he won, but that's just complete domination. Yeah, and he he can run in this category for another two years. So that we could have a three P. Ingebrigtsen, I think, won four in a row, and this would be, that'd be pretty crazy. But I would love to see him race the Newbury Park guys. Because at first I was like, oh, Newbury Park. I mean, the best guy in America, most the best guy in Europe. I think it would be interesting. But I mean, if he if he ran all right, he ran thirteen forty four in May. If he's fitter than that now. I, I think I'd probably take him over the Newbury Park guys, but it would be close. I, I would like to see, yeah, I'd like to see this happen at Milrose or some other meet. Fly him over and let's have a showdown, Denmark versus America. And speaking of that, an interesting idea from the week that was, Robert wasn't actually the one who came up with this. It was Sean Brosnan who suggested it, but Robert sort of started promoting it. I thought he did a good job of this, was Newbury Park wants to run the four by mile at Penn. And that's the collegiate four by mile people at the Penn relays in April. This has to happen. All right. Is it, please tell me like, look up in the rules. Is there somewhere that says it has to be all college kids? Or can we just call this like an open championship, but we just have college te- teams at Newbury park. It needs to happen. If you look up the 2019 winning time for the championship of America, college men's four by mile, it's 1639. That's a 409 average. Okay, that's that's sort of on the slower side. The anchor time, I think Morgan McDonald was the anchor for Wisconsin. They won. He only anchored in 415. I mean, obviously, Morgan McDonald could have run about 355 at that point. So I'm not saying Newbury Park's going to win, but they will beat some college teams, and I think it would be fun as hell to have them in the race. They have, if you add up their PRs, it's 1632, 404, 407, 409, and 412 for Colin and Aaron Salmon and Leo and Lex Young. And that's from last year. That they can definitely run faster than that by April. They're all going to be able to run their PRs in the same race, probably not. But I think they need to be in this race. It would draw some. It would draw a lot of extra eyeballs to this. People will get excited about it. It needs to happen. Absolutely. You said it's in the rule book. Who cares? Pin relays is an exhibition to begin with. Like Steve Dolan, director of track and field at UPenn, and and the meet director should make it happen. I'll, I'll, I'll email him or call him later in the week. Since the boy from our high school is going to UPenn, I might as well use it as an excuse to call him. But, you know, the thing that I said in the week that was is, who cares if it's against the rules? Al Franken didn't care about the rules. He promoted the sport. He made it fun. This is a great idea. Speaking of Newberry Park, the Newberry Park boys were not at the East Bay Cross Country Championships last weekend. For those of you overseas, East Bay is the high school individual cross-country championships in America. It used to be called the Foot Locker Championships. And to me, that was a joke. I don't know why East Bay would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this event and not just give the Newberry Park boys wild cards into the event. It would have been a lot more interesting. I agree with you. would have been better for the sport. But I still thought these were pretty exciting. I enjoyed watching these races. The, the boys' race was won by Riley Huff. Uh, he's the eighth eighth champion from Michigan, which ties Michigan with California for the most all time, which 
it's pretty impressive because Michigan's only 10th in the U.S. in population, and it's only a quarter the size of California population-wise. They have as many champions, includes Dathan Ritzenheim, Grant Fisher, some pretty big names. But that, that race was exciting to me because I love the way that Gavin Sherry ran this race from Connecticut. He was sort of, he was my pick for the win. He broke the course record at VCP two weeks ago at the regional meet. And he just took this race by the scruff of the neck. He he pushed the pace. He was leading it. He thought, I'm the best guy. I'm going to try and break everyone. And I don't know. You can agree or disagree. Was it the smartest strategy? I'm not sure. But he made it exciting. And when he spoke in the interview afterwards, you could tell like he put his entire heart and soul into that race. He thought, that I'm just going to go for it on the biggest stage. And okay, it didn't pay off. But like he he's got to walk away from that race field and I did everything I could do. So I was really impressed by Gavin Sherry, but I was also impressed by Riley Huff because he made his winning move. He was very patient. You know, he, he got kind of dropped by Sherry, but not totally, you know, it wasn't a huge gap. And then he sort of caught up on this. They run this big downhill at Balboa park. They run it twice in the race, obviously after climbing a big uphill. And that's often where the race is run won and lost. And, Huff stayed patient, and then he made his big move right coming off the hill. And I thought his quote was really interesting. He just said, the last 400 meters was basically just not listening to my body because my body was trying to shut down. (laughs) He was just listening to his head and saying, I have to stay up here. I have to stay up here or else these people are going to catch me. So he timed his kick really well. He wins the race on the boys' side. And on the girls' side, it was Natalie Cook, who also won running lane the week before. She ran 16.03 there, one of the fastest high school times ever by a girl. And she she made a big move like she did the week before at running lane, like she has most of the season. She made a move during mile two, and it looked like it was just going to be complete dominance. You know, she's breaking away. Uh, she's clearly the best in the country. It's not even going to be close. But the gap actually closed quite a bit. And by the top of the hill, the second time, she was only five meters ahead of the two people behind her, Angelina Perez and Jenna Mulhern. But and I was like, okay, this is probably it. You know, you don't just give up a, a big lead and then basically get caught and then sort of pull away again. But that's what happened. She she comes down off the hill and then you think, okay, this is going to be a kick to the finish. It wasn't. She just pulled, once they made the turn of the final straight, she just pulled away convincingly and won. She's now the footlocker and, sorry, East Bay and running lane champion. And the crazy thing about this, there was this article by Miles Split talking to her coach and her dad about her training. Said over the summer, she only ran 15 miles a week. She does a ton of cross training, but she had a foot injury from a year ago, and they've just very careful with her. Is that the, lo- I don't know if she does 15 miles still now, but I have to imagine that's the lowest mileage total ever by someone who ends up winning nationals that fall, 15 miles a week over the summer. John, have you ever run in Texas in the summer? Thank you, Barry Deweed. She's the first winner from Texas. It's hotter than hell. You don't want to run more than 15 miles a week in Texas. Uh, no, I agree with you. But if she had an injury and, and they were just taking it cautious, I think it just shows it's great coaching. The first thing with running is you have to be healthy. Whatever it is. If you're hurt, you're not going to run well. So get healthy so you can train. And... She just, you know, she dominated pretty much. She lost one race this fall, but she's clearly the best high school girls runner in the country. And 
This one was in doubt though. When she when she got caught or almost caught, I thought she was done. And she's got this sort of how do you guys describe it? I described it as knock need. And knock need running style. It's not pretty. Like her leg flails out, her knees are kind of together. And before the race, people on some people on the forums were saying, I don't think she can win a difficult course. She proved everybody wrong. And both races I thought were, were exciting in different ways. That race looked like it was a blood halfway through. And then once she almost got caught, I'm like, oh, she's going to lose. Because usually that's how it happens. But she had something in reserve. The girls race reminded me of the Valencia Marathon from a few weeks ago. Camor comes from back in the pack. Gets about within one or two seconds of the lead. You think the leaders are screwed? No, they're not. But I'm amazed. We've been talking for almost over 40 minutes, I think. Weldon has not yet mentioned the name Keenan Pala. Sometimes I get quoted, John, on these Yale, these washed-up Yale cross-country runners, text message threads that Weldon's on. They're like, oh, my God, did you know that the guy who got second at East Bay is going to Yale? So we've, in the past, given a shout-out to Sahil Dota of St. Mark's, our high school, he was 16th, by the way, missed All-American by one spot. I'm sure Weldon wants to give out a shout-out to Mr. Paula, who will be attending his alma mater next year. But I had, no idea. I had no idea. Well, you did when these guys started texting you. But, you know, if we're going to put an asterisk next to his performance, he is from San Diego, so he had the home course advantage. Also, he didn't run a running lane the week before, so he was fresher than some of these other runners. Um. That means he ran the Foot Locker Regional the week before, so I don't buy the freshness argument. Yeah, I, I think it is pretty cool. I looked it up. He he only goes to school like five minutes away from the Balboa Park course. I wonder how much he he runs there. Watching this broadcast over the weekend reminded me of how much I love this meet. I just love the pageantry. I love that they bring back the stars. They had Molly Huddle, Shalane Flanagan, Connor Mance. You know, they have all the individual. Each runner is introduced individually and then runs out to the starting line. It's like a, an NBA game or a, or a football game. The announcers do a really good job. They're, they're all very passionate. There's just that one guy. I don't know his name, but I know his voice instantly because he does every Foot Locker since I've been watching the meet. He always gets really excited. They have it on the same course. The broadcast is good. They, the broadcast does a good job following them. They invest a lot of energy into it. I just really love this meet. And I know that, you know, is it for the best interest of the sport for there to be a divided national championship and to have teams of individuals separate? Pro- probably not. But I do think this is such a cool experience. And I really like that you've got some of the greats of American distance running have run at this meet. And then they come back to this meet to support it and watch the next generation. So I don't know. I mean, I just really like that this meet still exists, even though it's now under the East Bay Nationals. I, I do hope it keeps going forward. Yeah, John, when I was listening to it or watching it, I had many of the same thoughts, how the ex-champions are there. I was like, well, I did think to myself, how much do they pay these people to come back? But one thing that may make it interesting is that it's very simple. You're only focused on one thing. Who is the individual boys champion? And then who is the individual girls champion? Because on Sunday this week, you know, I have my 
six NFL teams that I root for. That's kind of getting narrowed down to maybe four, but two of my teams, Dallas, my team, really Dallas, is playing Washington, my wife's team. And I told everyone in the family I'd be rooting for Washington. Happy wife, happy life. Plus, it would make, make, make things more interesting. Plus, during times of COVID, we all need life to return to normal. In my adult life, John, has been one thing has been constant pretty much, me complaining about how bad the Dallas Cowboys are. So it, it's better when they screw up and underperform, et cetera. But at the same time as one, that 1 p.m. game, my kind of new team, the Ravens, were playing. And I tried to watch both games at once. It's just terrible. It's just miserable. Now, in an NFL game, there's more going on. You know, every third down is really important than there is in a running competition. But it just reminded me, like, no wonder these marathon broadcasts are awful. It's because you've got the men's race and the women's race going on at the same time. And even in a cross-country race, you've normally got the individual race and the team race. It's a lot to follow at the same time. Footlocker is very simple. Who's, who's the new king? You know, who's the new, new queen? And I just thought Riley Huff, I, I loved his form. He looked like a runner. He looked like a thoroughbred to me. I think it's kind of cool. He's going to Michigan State, which isn't necessarily like a men's power. So, great event, great event. But to all the Yale alums out there, I don't think you should get your hopes up. Yale's never won an Ivy League cross-country championship on the men's side. You know, I was talking to some of the Ivy League coaches. It's not like they don't have people that were 10th in this meet or 17th in this meet going to their schools. All right, one thing I kind of disagree with you here, Robert, I think it is interesting to have the team scores. Maybe it's maybe college cross country. It's better because the, the men's race is 10 K it's longer, but sometimes cross country races, the front of the pack, it's just a big clump of people for the first half of the race. And while that's happening, I kind of like to know what's going on in the team race. It gives us something else to talk about rather than just saying, okay, well, there's a K to go and no one's broken away yet. So I think sometimes it's good to have the team discussion. Oh, I love the team discussion, John. I just was saying, though, that it makes it easier as a fan. Like, I was trying to just say, like, I had this unique experience of trying to watch two sporting events at once. It's hard to watch, to follow a lot of things, you know, at one time as a fan. But, yeah, the t- I'm all for the team. I think it makes it more interesting. Well, we're talking the high school ranks and teen phenoms. Just got an email from my new best friend, evil twin guy. And he sent me a link talking about the two dangerous sensations. I thought there was a second one. So the 17-year-old Alex Van Christensen dominated the junior Euros. And in third place was another Dane who just turned 18. His name, well, I'm just not good with these Danish names. Joel Ebler, I got that part. And then Lileso or something. I'm not sure how to pronounce that Danish O. So this guy gets stirred, whatever, gets kind of crushed by his other 17-year-old countrymen. But he just turned 18 in November. His PBs are 749 for 3,000 meters, 1340 for 5,000 meters. That's crazy. Jesus. Denmark's a fucking factory. I think these two guys would crush Newberry Park right now. Yeah, seven, those times are ridiculous, Weldon. 749, so he ran that in August. So that would have been, if he's an American, that's the summer before the senior year of high, his senior year of high school. He ran faster than the national record for the USA, the national high school record, which was Nico Young, 756 in 2020. So 
And that's with a whole year of eligibility remaining. So that's crazy. And then 1340, again, the U.S. high school record was Galen Rupp, 1337, the summer after his senior year. He ran this in May at the end of his junior year of high school. It's just, it's crazy. Well, guys, it's certainly impressive. I don't know if they would crush everybody. Everyone acts like this is unprecedented. Does anyone remember the name Jerry Lindgren? I'm familiar with him, yes. Used to post on the forums, actually. The man who was born 13 days before my father on March 9th, 1946. John Kelly and I were talking about this this morning. Jerry ran 1344 on a sender track in high school. Also ran, maybe more impressively, 840 for two miles on an indoor track in high school. Like 10 laps to the mile, 10 or 11 laps to the mile. So, so it is kind of crazy because I was wondering, like, how are these high school kids so fast? Has the training improved? And then you think about that guy. So he's in high school almost 60 years ago. Same thing with Jim Ryan running low 350s in the mile, pretty much the best in the world. Uh, so maybe the better question is, like, how did we regress so much? Because those guys didn't have advanced training, but maybe they just trained hard. I, I, I just can't make sense of it. But they, there was no super shoes back then. Well, so Jerry Lindgren cha- trained his ass off. Like there were room. There, there was. I remember seeing it was a thread either on Die Style or Let's Run about him running like two hundred mile weeks at some point. And I don't know if that was when he was in high school, but he was a total animal. And yeah, people need to realize, like Robert, if you're not convinced by those times, Robert read you from almost sixty years ago without super shoes or anything like that. You got to remember in 1964, he finished ninth in the Olympic 10,000 meter final, but he won the U S Olympic trials. And remember the Olympic champion that year was an American by the name of Billy Mills. And he got injured before the Olympics. Jerry Lindgren did. He sprained an ankle during training. So if he had been fully healthy, it's possible he could have been the 1964 Olympic champion in the 10K at 18 years old from the U.S. It's pretty pretty nuts. Wait, he beat Billy Mills at the trials? I mean, I assume, he won the trials. I assume Billy Mills was also at the trials. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure he beat him. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. I keep claiming that, guys, that I'm going to hire a voiceover guy so we can do, like, official segments of the podcast. Maybe I'll do that in 2022. What I learned from the message board last week. One of my favorite threads was this one called We had a theoretical high school team of Ritzenheim, Galen Rupp, Alan Webb, Ryan Hall, and Chris Zielinski, all at 17 to 18 years old. Do they beat the Newberry Park team from this year? And it was a very interesting thread. And then people were debating whether it was a dual meet or an open meet or an open meet because Basically, everyone's like, look, Newberry Park's fifth man would be very vulnerable in a meet like that. But if it's a dual meet, it doesn't hurt him as much. I think most people kind of had the all-star team beating Newberry Park, but barely. But there's some interesting things. People were saying, like, you got to remember, folks, Ryan Hall, his senior fall, wasn't as good as he really was. He was really better than how he ran because he was on Accutane. It really messes up your running. So people were like, I'm going to assume that Ryan Hall nowadays is, doesn't get on Accutane and stuff like that. So that made me think, I think these Newberry Park guys are like on the track are going to be 
well, they're not going. I don't think they're going to run three fifty three in the mile, but they may run faster, faster than these other guys at the, at the long distance events. So, I mean, I, I I think if you put this Newberry to one, one, a different way to think about it is if you could fly them back into time and they could race these guys, I think they'd be very competitive. But I think if you put Ritz Rabbit Hall Holland Solinsky in high school now, they would run much faster than they did then. Like. First of all, the shoes are better, but the training is better. They've got the internet's out there. They know what's going on. The, their coaches would know more. They also have more opportunities to run fast. There's so many more time trials. They have paced races now. I mean, Ritz was running it, going to pin relays and running, you know, in the wind. Nowadays, he would be running under the lights at the sound running meet in LA or something. So, but it was a very interesting thread um, about it because if you, in terms of their actual times, they're pretty similar. But and I used to say when I was coaching, I'm not recruiting times, I'm recruiting talent. Which do I think is a higher talent? Clearly the All-Star team is a higher talent than the Newbury Park team. Yeah, I mean, one thing, so this isn't a perfect comparison, but Chris Linsky, he ran 1441 at Balboa Park when he won. It's one of the fastest times ever there. By comparison, Riley Huff, who won this week at Balboa Park in the run in the East Bay Nationals, he ran 15-11. So he was 30 second lower on that course than Solinsky. Yeah, Riley Huff was not far behind the Newbury Park trio at running lane. He was what 14-10, I think. And the winning time was 14-03. So I do th- I think Solinsky and Ritzenhein definitely they're the clear one-two in this race with Ritz winning. But then beyond that, I think you can debate like, okay, Rob's more talented than this trio, but the, the but in high school, I mean, he wasn't the champion in high school. He got beat by Matt, Matt Withrow. So you could argue that the Newbreeds would have been ahead of Galen Rupp in cross country. It's possible. Uh, I think they would have been fairly close. And then you could say, yeah, Webb and, well, I think they probably would have beaten Ryan Hall. So we, we have one poster, uh, Bird Bead, Bird Beard, sorry. He put the order as this. And the t- Ritzenhein first, 15, 1353. Then Solinsky, 1359. Rupp, 1402. Colin Salmon, 1403. Leo Young, 1405. Lex Young, 1414. Ryan Hall, 1414. Then Daniel Appleford, 10th, uh, their, their fifth man from Newbury Park. I quibble with that a little bit. I probably put Colin of course, Rupp's not getting third in that race. Rupp was fourth, and wasn't he fourth in the Footlocker himself? I thought he was second or third. Maybe, maybe Ben Tribb was fourth, but no. The order of finish is Selinski. I mean, Rupp and Ritzenheim and Selinski one two. I think Newberry Park probably goes three four five. Um, but then I think that they're going to go. Then they get beat after that. Yeah, I'm also not sure that Newbury Park's fourth guy right. would have beaten Ryan Hall. But again, maybe yeah, he he probably ran faster at the California State Meet than Hall did. Yeah, you know, so I can't believe you guys fell for the trolls. Who would win? An all-star team or Newbury Park, the all-star team? Come on, people. Well, the all-star team would win, but I think it's kind of fun to debate because the <laughs> Newbury Park's basically an all-star team themselves. 
Oh, by the way, shout out to the, I think it was a podcast listener that either called or emailed. I think they left a voicemail. It's like in college, I'm putting an asterisk next to all teams that win the NCAA championship unless until they have, until we have a team with five walk-ons who did not break 930 for the 32 meters in high school. Newberry Park deserves an asterisk because they live in this district where you can transfer in. So anybody in that in that school district can go to this high school. So, you know, it's a massively big high school, but really it's like having a high school of like, you know, 5,000 people or something, maybe more, 10,000 people. Well, they also they live in California where you can year-round. I mean, back in Massachusetts, it's a lot harder to get those winter miles in. So you got to factor that. I mean, look, you can make up all these sort of excuses or whatever. They're, they're still a generationally ridiculous team. And for the record, Galen Rupp's second at Foot Lockers in 2003. It was a loaded year. Third was Shadrach Biwat, who has had great success. He's finished top five in multiple world marathon majors. Fourth, Josh McDougall, NCAA cross-country champion. And fifth, Ben True, who's still grinding it out has made multiple U.S. World Championship teams. So uh, back in 20th, Lopez Lamont. So it's pretty pretty interesting. Garrett Heath in there, Andrew Bumbleau. There's a lot of talent in the 2003 Footlockers. Okay, John, while we're talking about former prep phenoms, there was another former prep phenom in the news last week, or actually this week. Allie Ostrander, you'll have to help me out with her high school exploits, but while she was at... Boise State, she was a three-time NCAA steeple championship, steeple champ, who made the 2019 World Team after graduation. She has announced on Instagram, I think yesterday, that she is taking a step back away from professional running right now and has terminated her Brooks contract. Yeah, I thought this was an interesting post because... Allie has been very open that she's battled with an eating disorder and she hasn't really, you know, an eating disorder is something is not something you can just conquer and just say, Oh, I'm fixed. You know, it's never going to go away. An eating disorder. It's still, even if you can get treatment and go through it, it's not something that you can always permanently solve. It's something you're still going to be thinking about. And she didn't really reference the eating disorder explicitly. I think in her Instagram post. I think she was talking more about injuries and maybe that's related to the eating disorder. I don't know, but she essentially said, This is from her Instagram post. The string of injuries that I experienced throughout last year and a half has made it evident that my body cannot currently handle the volume and intensity of training that is necessary to be a professional runner. Since the age of 10, I have prioritized athletic achievement over everything else, including my health. I didn't realize the toll it was taking on me until I reached my breaking point. So it's time for me to do what I should have all along. Put my mental and physical health first. This isn't me retiring from professional running. It's just me taking a step back. So it does sound like that's if, if she knows her body better than anyone, if that's what steps she's taken, yeah, I commend her for it. I hope that she can get the support she needs and hopefully return to the sport healthy. We've seen athletes take breaks. Like Robert, you always say talent God doesn't go away. I mean, look at Kira D'Amato. She took what? seven or eight years away from the sport and she came back and now she's crushing it. She's one of the top runners in the country. So Allie, like you said, Robert, she was an NXN champion in high school, clearly very, very talented. I'm hoping that she can get healthy and find a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, if running fits into that life moving forward, it'd be cool to see because what's the, the crazy thing about her is 
she ran her personal best earlier this year at the Olympic trials. She she got eighth in the final and she ran 926 in the steeple, which was a PR, even though she had been checked into this partial hospitalization program for her eating disorder this spring. So, and she was not healthy. She wasn't healthy earlier this spring either. So she still ran, managed to run a PR in the Olympic trials final. It shows you how much talent she has, but you know, that talent, that, that performance sounds like it came, came at a cost. Yeah. I didn't actually say she was the 2014 NXN champion. I was looking that up, but yes, very good in high school. I, I think the, Better analogy, if Ali's listening to this, is someone mentioned this on that on that message board thread is Molly Seidel, prep phenom, one foot locker, college star. Kind of had a year or two there where she was kind of not I don't know if she took officially took a step away, but wasn't doing anything. And now she's an Olympic medalist. You know, I don't know if that's realistic for Ali or not, but um you know, one thing that was interesting to me, and we don't know the, the, the truth of this. Some people would say, Weldon, it's a good thing Weldon had to, had to leave right now, so he's not here. He might say, this is unprofessional, but there was speculation on that thread that Brooks wanted Allie to do more official treatment or whatever, and she doesn't want to do that, so she didn't really have a choice but to leave. I don't know if that's true, but I think that's interesting, and I think that companies, they're not going to look the other way anymore on this stuff. Whatever it is, whether it's disordered eating or abusive coaches, you know, there's a lot. I think it's good that they really say, like, no, this isn't healthy. This isn't good. If you're going to run for us, we want you to do A, B, C, and D. You know, so if that's true, again, I'm speculating a little bit. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's the responsible thing. And and you don't want to end up, I mean, look at Nike and Mary Kane. If you don't take those steps, and even sometimes do stuff that runners don't want you, require runners to do stuff that they don't necessarily want to do. You could end up on the, on the wrong end of a lawsuit five, 10 years down the road. Yeah. If you followed some of the coverage at the time when she was saying she got checked into this hospitalization program, you know, there's an article on teamusa.org. Karen Rosen wrote talking about how Brooks sort of factored into it. And she said some of the doctors at USA track and field, as well as her coach, Danny Mackey and people at the corporate offices of our sponsor Brooks running felt that this needed to happen. So I was pretty much told do this or you get dropped. So like you said, it's speculation on the message boards, but if that's what happened now, and she's saying, I don't want to continue this certain sort of treatment. And Brooks said, well, we're not going to continue your your contract. I mean, that's, that's her decision, but I do think Brooks should be commended for the support they've given to her to tell her, like you said, Robert, to help her fight through this. Because in, in past, we've seen other companies or other coaches maybe not feel the same way. So I do think Brooks needs to be commended for the support of Ali here. All right, another news item we got this week was the NCAA has awarded the 2024 NCAA Indoor Championships to The Track, which is the new New Balance sponsored facility in Boston. And it's going to open, I believe, for the next indoor track season. So the 2022-2023 indoor track season. And it will then host NCAA indoors the next year, which I, I think is exciting as a Boston resident, well, Brookline resident, technically. I'm pumped because I think this is a great running city. It's a big city. So hopefully we can get you know, some local fans, maybe who just aren't just people who are in town to watch their kids compete, but maybe like the local running community can actually get in and go to this meet 
like they go to the, used to go to the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. That's in Staten Island now. But the other thing I thought was crazy about this was, Robert, you texted this news out to our group chat, and you said, "Wait, te- did they just take the, mo- the meet away from Texas A and M? Because Texas A and M was supposed to host in 2024, and it's not actually the case. It's not be. It's I mean, the NCAA didn't take it away. They're not able to host because Texas Tech is now doing. They're building." a $55 million new indoor track facility, which is nuts to me. They just built one in 2009. It hosted NCAAs a few times. It was a nice nice stadium, nice arena. But now they're building a new football practice facility where the indoor track is. So they're moving the indoor track and they have to build a new one and spend $55 million on it. It just seems like a huge amount of wasted money for what was already a good facility and good enough to host NCAA indoors. Just seems kind of crazy to me. This should almost be another Rojo rant, John. First of all, I think you said Texas Tech is Texas A&M University. But this is what's wrong with college athletics in the sense of I'm from Texas. Texas and Texas A&M are natural rivals. I've, I've gone on this before. They don't even play each other in football. Why? Because these two schools are so greedy and they want their own money. And they one goes to the SEC. Texas A&M does it to get away from Texas. And then Texas does their own TV network. And then now they're going to both end up in the SEC. And, you know, I I was talking to a coach today, and I said, what is going on here? And he said, well, the football coach, Jimbo Fisher, was kind of hot. People were saying that he might go to LSU. So part of his – to keep him at at Texas A&M, he decided that he wanted the indoor facility. It's right next to the outdoor track. So, hey, this can be his indoor facility right next to the outdoor football stadium, excuse me, and we'll just build him another track. So they spent $38 million on the track in 2008, and now they're going to spend $55 million on another track in 2021. So we're going to spend $93 million on an indoor track and field facility just for Texas A&M? Like, this is crazy. Like, could that fund all of USA? Could that fund every professional runner in America for like 10 years? But it's like the arms race. If you don't do it, somebody else will do it. Hello, athletic directors. I know no one cares, but someone needs to put a stop to this. There can only be 20 football teams in the top 20 and only 10 in the top 10. And it's hardly ever going to be Texas A&M. I hate to break it to you guys. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Sorry if I... Did I say Texas Tech? Really? I feel like... I'm sorry if I made that mistake. I meant Texas A&M, obviously. But, Robert, all right. I'm glad you ranted about that, but... I'm a little excited that Boston, I mean, Boston, you can also say like, did Boston need another indoor track? You know, we've already got Harvard. We've already got BU. We've already got the Reggie Lewis center. But I think when I spoke to Mark Coogan about why New Balance was building this track, he said, yeah, but this one's sort of more to be more spectator friendly. You know, you wouldn't host the NCAA championships at Boston university, but you can host the NCAA championships as this new place, the track, and maybe potentially down the line, USA indoors and maybe even world indoors. So I'm excited. I still haven't seen what this facility is going to look like, but I'm glad that there's a spectator focused facility. That's going to be in one of the biggest running cities in the country. Oh, I think it's great for Boston. I'm not criticizing them at all. Yeah. Yeah. Cause none of those other Boston facilities are great for spectators really in, in a big venue. So I'm glad that they're getting it, but this college stuff is just, it's crazy. I mean, I think we're going to have a pushback on it eventually. It has to, but I don't know. Like, people say, oh, the athletes need to be empowered. 
How much do they need to be empowered? Now we have total free agency. We don't have this in any professional sports where there's total free agency year by year with no long-term contracts. So I know athletes aren't being paid to the same extent that a professional athlete is, but a lot of these college kids have it better off than sort of a women's professional soccer player. And now you go to school for one year. If you do anything good, you can just leave and go somewhere else. So it's going to be tough for coaches at smaller programs to, to keep their athletes, et cetera. All right. Well, Robert, I think that's going to do it for this segment. Do we have anything else to discuss before we get to Weldon's interview with Nick Willis? I'll hold off on going off on the UPenn swimmer yet again. No, just reminder to people, let's run.com slash subscribe. And if you already are a VIP subscriber, check the VIP forum, check your email, because I want to buy you a holiday gift. Your winter cap. Wear it with pride. Rojo Claus is in the building. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. So yeah, make sure you check out the forum if you want the hat. And if you haven't rated reviewed this podcast, please do so. Leave us a five-star review on Spotify or an Apple podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave a comment. Spread the word. If you have someone in your life who's a running fan, you think, oh, hey, they go on a run. They need something to listen to. Just let them know because we put this out once a week, our regular podcast, we have the Friday 15 for our VIP supporters club members. So that's two podcasts a week. That's two runs a week you're getting getting through, especially in the winter. It's going to be tough to get out the door. If you know you've got some running discussion to get you through, maybe that's a little extra motivation. So make sure you rate and review and spread the word about the podcast. And if you don't have a Christmas gift for a runner, what better way than give the gift of Let's Run My Cop membership? got a special guest two-time olympic medalist in the 1500 meters he's run sub for the mile 19 straight years he's been around almost as long as let's run.com he's now 38 years old the kiwi sensation nick willis nick thanks for joining us hey Robin, thanks for having me 2001 is when i first checked out let's run when did you guys start up 2000 2000. Okay, so I was, I was there right at the ground floor, I, I feel like. You, you definitely were. I remember first meeting you at the, it's called like the main Twilight meet, is that right? Yep, the Can-Am series. I don't know how old you were then, but... I was 19. Alan Webb was a big deal, and they're like, there's this New Zealand guy who's just as good. And then you said, oh, I know what Let's Run is. You, you acted like we were celebrities, and I thought that was super cool, so... <laughs> Yeah, my roommate at the time, he introduced me to you guys. He's like, Weijo on Rojo, or he might have called you Weijo at the time, the New Zealand accent. Um, he's like, you got to go meet them if you get to the States. <laughs> I think on the intro, I didn't do it right, because the reason we're talking is December 31st, the crack of dawn on New Year's, midnight on New Year's, the gun will go off at the armory in what I call the official indoor track of Letron.com, which... What used to be about 60 blocks from my house now is about 35 miles. And you'll be attempting to go sub four for the record 20th straight year. Part of the, what's the official name? Tracksmith Midnight Mile? No, it's the Midnight Mile New Year's Eve Gala. And it's being organized by the Tracksmith Foundation. But yeah, it's the Midnight Mile, basically. But yeah, I'd be ashamed to leave it at 19. It just doesn't have the right ring to it, right? So... That I need a couple more carrots to keep me incentivized to 
do the little things, which sometimes I can be a bit lazy about. So I've actually started stretching the last couple of weeks and saying no to desserts every now and then as well. And now I've got Hobbs and Mason back in town to train with. Things are coming together and it's going to be fun having them there to to chase their backs and hang on to them for as long as possible. And hopefully we can do it for one more year to keep the streak alive. So are you going to be racing Hobbs or is he going to let the old man take it? Or No, no, no. They're just pacing. Hobbs is actually Hobbs Kessler, for those who don't know. This high school kid from last year broke the record. He is going to pace not just my race, but also the high school mile an hour earlier. So that's sort of cool. The high school record holder pacing the, the next generation of high schoolers. And then an hour later, he'll pace me and Mason. Mason will follow Hobbs and then me and Mason will duke it out or he'll rabbit me depending on how he feels. Yeah, so it, sh- it should be a good way to cap off the night. But it's not just about my race. Like the whole idea is that this would be just a, a fun New Year's Eve party, which will have a scattering of races, youth community, elite races throughout the night with a beer garden and DJ and dance floor and some live performances. But I think outside of my race, what I'm most intrigued to see is we're going to have some elimination miles. You might have seen those ones on YouTube in Australia. They did a couple of elimination miles on the outdoor track. Did you see those? Is that where the last place guy every lap gets eliminated? Yeah, it can also be known as like devil takes the hindmost. Well, this being a 200 meter track, we can afford to have more people being eliminated more frequently because it's every lap is only one eighth of a mile. So yeah, that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. So eight people start essentially and one is eliminated every lap, or I guess you could do more and then duke it out. I'm not, we haven't totally decided the, the, the terms, but the goal is to have one person eliminated each race and then each lap and you have three people left for the last lap to battle it out to the finish line. I might even sign up for elimination mile. I might only have to run 200 meters. I mean, well, these guys who are going 336 to 338 in the field. So, <laughs> oh, there's not, you gotta have like a media elimination mile, you know? Oh, that's a good idea. S- slow man's random people in New York elimination mile. No, it looks like a cool event. I just randomly by chance went to New York City today to meet with Yepe, the evil twin brewery founder, who I found out as a podcast listener. I was very excited to hear about that because I've always wanted to have a beer of Let's Run.com. And I don't know, we hit it off. He's a twin. He's into running. He likes beer. That's where the twin comes from in the name. I didn't know he was a twin also. Yeah. His twin brother started Mikola Beer in Denmark, which sponsored World Cross Country Championships. His brother started Michelob. Mi- no, Michelob. It's not Michelob. Uh, Michelob's like billion dollar company, right? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Brand. But there's a rivalry and the brothers kind of split off. So I haven't announced it yet, but Robert and I are going to split off. We need to have rival businesses. I think we, we'd be more efficient that way, like <laughs> like the these twins. But I said, oh, I got to go. Go talk to Nick Willis. And he said, oh, Midnight Mile. Like we may be sponsoring that or providing the beer. So Beer Garden, any finance bigwoods out there want to sponsor? You can get a table. It sounds like – are there tables like on the track? The most exclusive table, you can get a table for 25000 bucks. Somebody wants to have a really good time. We're going to have a an elevated gala experience on the infield, and that can look in many different ways. But um, the idea is that if people want to make this their big New Year's Eve night out, you don't have to go to a big party. This can be – as small or as intimate or as big and rowdy as you as you want to make it. What I'm most excited about is that normally my race is at the end, the mile and the armory. And by the time I finish calling down, everyone's left and the place is a ghost town. 
here we've got the after party going for two hours afterwards so i get to still enjoy the ceremonies and celebrations with everybody for a couple more hours afterwards it really is great when i first heard of this i'm like how come no one's thought of this i guess we have the what's it called the midnight race in new york city in central park but that's outside you're cold there's no gala afterwards it's like you're picking one or the other you're either picking the new year's party or you're picking running this one you can do both we have showers at the armory so you can run and go shower come back and get your party gear on and whatever i think i'm gonna have to come i got no excuse i'm 45 minutes away all right it's just a matter whether i come by myself or whether my wife wants to come too are there still spots available for people to run or are those filled up yep all of that's available on the Tracksmith website, all of the links to the registration pages on Run Ridge and all of that sort of stuff. And so that begs the question, you got to go sub four. Are you worried? Do you think it's not a possibility? How's the training going? Too early to say? The way I've sort of taken pressure off of myself is that it wouldn't be entertaining if it came easily. You guys would be watching go, ah, oh, he's just uh, like loping around and runs a 357, whatever. That's not that big a deal. But if it's like actually a really challenge, which it's going to be, if I run 401 or if I run 359, like there's a lot on the line and like the crowd can really get into it and feel like they're contributing to the performance. And so that's where I'm at right now. I think there's definitely a strong possibility I can break four. I've had a couple of really good workouts. But I've also had a couple of illnesses in the last couple of weeks and anything can happen in the the final preparations. And it's going to be my first and perhaps only race of the season. So you're never fully sure of where you're at until you get a couple of races under your belt. So, yeah, it's it's going to be tight, but that makes it more entertaining. That's actually a really good answer. Your last race, 335, season's best at the Olympics. Of course you ran a season's best at the Olympics. I think that's your career. You know how to run well when it counts. But I'm now trying to rewind the results from last year to see what you started. You started off the year pretty slow, I think. Oh, yeah, let's see. See a 350. Yeah, first mile of the year, 358.6. That was outdoors, too. That was number 19. Yeah. I was sort of stuck at the 338 range. My best performances throughout the year, I ended up, being right on the edge of qualifying for Tokyo. But yeah, I just felt like I'd plateaued and it was I was barely able to qualify for the Olympics. I was the very last person to get in on points and I was stuck at that 338 range and every time I just had nothing in the last lap. But at the Olympics, it was the first time in a couple of years where I was on the start line and I wasn't really nervous. I think the occasion has just put me back into the old um, mindset that I've had at the other four Olympics I've been to and I just put on my game face and I started to believe like it's just racing now, not worrying about times or qualifying. And the first lap of the prelim went out in 61 seconds, which is super slow for a 1500. But these old legs, I I have this theory that as you get older, you find it harder to tolerate the lactate early in the race. You can cross that red line earlier, but if you stay under it for as long as possible, you can still close really well. And that first lap of 61 just allowed me to get through that first 400 meters without already being in a hole. Normally I'm just hanging on from that point on. And then Stuart McSwain took off and the pack followed him and I ran a 336. I was like, wow, I just ran a 336, two second season best off of a 61 first lap. Maybe I can go 334 in the semis if need be. And I was 335 low. And um, I think it just sort of reminded me that it, it's not a forlorn thought that I can still somewhat compete with the, better guys in the world maybe not the best anymore but um it's not 
are not totally sort of a forgotten commodity in middle distance running. Yeah, definitely not. I guess the Olympics as a whole, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, he's so young, so good. I mean, Hobbs is so young, not quite so good, but really good. Like, what do you, where, how do you see the event right now? That's really exciting. Um, Josh Kerr hasn't really tested himself on the Grand Prix circuit yet either. You've seen him do a bunch of 332s, 333s sort of solo efforts in the US. Once he finally gets to Monaco, could he bust the 327? And then Cole Hocker was doing that at the end of an unbelievably long year as a college runner. People don't realize he was racing track since December last year when he raced Centro in a 5K at in California then did the full collegiate indoor season the full collegiate outdoor season then the USA's and then the Olympics and he still ran a PR in the final 331 so Hobbs has got his his work cut out for him if he wants to um get the crown as the fastest American runner for a couple of years yet but that's good it will keep him humble and working hard but I think the next Olympics is going to be really really exciting those guys are gonna be chomping at the bit to get Jakob and he probably will prove me wrong but it's it's hard to see how Jakob can stay motivated for a number of more years for the discipline required for his type of training regimen is just second to none. It's unbelievable the amount of training that those guys do in their system and the, the sacrifices required when you're already probably a millionaire and got all the fame and all, and you've already won the Olympic title. Like, is he going to be able to stay motivated or is he going to think, oh, I want to start being a kid. I never got to experience a lot of that stuff. So I think the the next Olympics, there's, the gold medal is up for grabs for a lot of different people. Is his training harder than yours? I mean, you've been around for 19 years oh, at this level. Do you think? So much more. <clears throat> I don't, I've never really trained any harder than what your average collegiate runner would train. And I think part of the benefit of that is that I was able to sort of build year upon year upon year that it was a very slow improvement curve. I had a lot of injuries, which forced me to have to train sort of conservatively. But then you have guys like Alan Webb or Craig Mottram or Chris Zielinski who were able to train absolutely nuts. But as soon as they had one major injury, they were never able to really come back from it because they only knew how to have success off of unbelievable training and so is that going to be the same for Jakob if he has a setback or he's not motivated anymore? But basically he has to just basically train and sleep, train and sleep. There's nothing else going on. So you mean like the intensity of his training or the volume, both? They, from what I hear, they don't do a ton of intensity per se, but they spend upwards of two and a half hours in the threshold zone every week. So that's five 30-minute sessions throughout the week. There's only seven days in the week. So they'll do two double days, a Tuesday and a Thursday. They'll do 30 minutes for threshold in the morning, third in the afternoon, likewise on Thursday. And then they'll also do hills on a Saturday and maybe even put some threshold in their long run. And they've got to do all of the other recovery runs as well. There's no time for not recovering when you're doing that much stuff. My, I probably at most do 35 minutes of threshold a week ever in my training. They're doing two and a half hours, but that's why... They're such beasts at all distances, and the half marathon's probably just as easy for Jakob as the 1500. Maybe he can move up in distance to stay motivated, but <laughs> I mean, he's still young, defending his title. There's no way he'll get. Yeah, but you're already gold medalist and you got millions of dollars. Like, wouldn't you want to like enjoy those things? I don't know. Maybe he'll go another Olympics and then, but yeah, we'll see. I've seen people speculate that they, because. 
I mean, they're big sort of stars in Norway and the social media stuff. And I don't know if it's comments he've said, but I've seen other people suggest the same thing that, hey, at some point he's going to move on. And it's hard when you're going to training camps all the time, altitude camps, maybe, but maybe he's fine because he's, I think he's engaged. So he, that was one thing I really benefited from having a long career is my wife was super involved in my career. And so it didn't feel like I was abandoning my family every time I'd go to training camp or racing trip. Makes sense. And off air before we got on, I said, is there going to be an outdoor season? What are the plans for the year? I guess I won't answer. You, you can tell the viewers what you said. Yeah, I had to sit down with the New Zealand Athletics Federation last week, and I had a long, hard think about before I went into that meeting, what do I want to tell them my plans are for the future? And it really came down to I'm just taking it season by season. So I'm going to do an indoor season, whether it might be just this race, or maybe I'll even go through to the world indoors. But I definitely, nothing gets me more excited each week than going to practice every day. The very nice track club. We've got such a fun environment of both discipline, seriousness, but also a lot of laughs and a lot of peripheral people that have a really good time. And so my hobby now is training seriously. Like that's my social outlet. So I'm going to keep training um, indefinitely until my body won't allow me to, so I can hang out with my crew. Are there a bunch of people there? Everyone knows of like Hobbs and Mason, but like he's Hobbs is a school. Ronnie, I assume, is there, but how big is the group? Yeah, we have upwards of 30 people on a long run. There's a lot of graduate and PhD students. We've got a women's team now started. My wife is coaching the women's team there for four or five women. There's all anyone who can basically run six minute pace will show up on different days of the week. And so there are different people in the running community who are sort of peripherally part of it. Sounds fun. I mean, that's the one thing I think running can be so solitary. And just hearing you talk about Jakob and I don't know if you're really good at basketball. Maybe you can't be LeBron James without putting the work, but I feel like running's even harder because the endurance, there's the endurance co- component. You got to pretty much train year round, maybe not at the same intensity, but you can't take three months off in the summer or two months off or whatever it is. So I think the social component is important. If you want to be a lifelong runner, you know, maybe yeah, you yeah. Just wanna, if you want to compete high school collegiate, give it a go one or two years as a pro and that's it. Maybe you don't need that part. Yeah. When I was taking things really seriously, it was nice to have people to pace me or like get break the wind when I was um, doing hard workouts. But I actually was so focused on my goals that I was going to get my training done no matter what. If anything, I almost embraced that I was being disciplined while my peers back in New Zealand would be having a summer break or whatever. Right. But definitely at this stage of life, I wouldn't be still running into my late thirties if it wasn't for the social element. So that's a huge factor why I still enjoy doing it every day and why it motivates me to go to the gym two or three times a week so I can stay healthy to keep doing it. In terms of workouts, as you get older, what's the biggest change? I I really am averse to doing anything anaerobic early on in a workout. I mean, I was always that way, but even more so now. So I can rip a couple of fast twos or threes at the end of a workout, but um, not early on. And we do a lot of hill training. So once a week, we'll go to these very steep hills just next, excuse me, just next to campus. But that naturally gets you into an anaerobic zone because they're so steep. And so that can put me in a hole really early on if I'm not careful that I used to sort of be able to just get through that, take 
the 10 minute jog race back to the track and be fine to go on the track intervals. But now I have to hold back on the hills if I want to still complete the full workout of the track afterwards. It's probably like everybody. You got to be a little bit smarter with the training, right? I mean, you can't just have the youthful exuberance and have the 19 year old body make up for any mistakes you make. Well, I mean, it's only really the last two or three years, like up until I was 35, 36, I don't think age played a factor at all from a um, physiological standpoint. Obviously a lot of other people in competitive running when they're late twenties, but that I don't think that's a physiological thing. It's more life circumstances, injuries get in the way and it's hard to really make the sacrifices to get back on track. Yep. And this, this isn't an exit interview because your career is still going. It's like a celebration of this 20th anniversary attempt. But when we when we look at your career, 2008 Olympics, you're now the silver medalist. You crossed the line in the as the bronze medalist, but Ramsey got disqualified. But if we now look at the gold medalist, that's Aspel Kiprop, who is actually coming back from his doping suspension this year. I mean, that's right. How do you view that whole situation? Uh, very different now than I did at the time. Um, there were periods of my career where I was very cynical and I let it sort of erode my enjoyment of the sport, thinking about the the dark side or the doping elements of it. Um, now that I don't consider myself a, a professional runner anymore, I don't really care anymore. I just enjoy watching the sport and I've stopped worrying about it entirely, which is quite refreshing. I feel grateful. I know this sounds funny, but like I've been so blessed in my life and all the opportunities I've been given. And like, had I won a gold in Beijing, my life could look very different now. Like with rewards comes a lot of responsibility and status and all of that sort of stuff. So I, in some ways I take the, from an athletics or sporting standpoint, I take a lot of like knowledge that, okay, I, I think that I'm the worthy gold medalist in those games. So I can take pride in that and I can sleep well at night but I don't have to deal with a lot of the other sort of associated things that comes with being a gold medalist in the 1500 meters from New Zealand when it's people like John Walker and Peter Snell are lifted up as these icons of the sport and all sport in New Zealand. So yeah, the part of you wants to be a part of that, but as you get older and more mature, you realize like there's a, there's a sense of freedom from not having to be in that. And would I be in the situation that I am now? I'm really, really enjoying like, starting a new career i'm learning how to be an employee for the first time in my life and i never thought in my wildest dreams i'd ever want to get into the rat race and do the whole corporate ladder and all of that sort of stuff not that i am because we're a startup at tracksmith but it's just really fascinating being immersed into a totally different culture and i might not have had that humility to like be an entry-level employee had i had i been a gold medalist what do you actually do for them in terms of the rat race side of things? I hadn't really thought about that. Well, we're a startup still, right? So we're, that's like frantically trying to get everything done with limited resources as much as possible. Um, but my main areas that I help um, oversee, I suppose, is our elite support, which is under the amateur support program umbrella. That's our main way of supporting what we consider sort of the, almost elites or the people that are yet to be pros our, our goal is to support those who aren't supported um and that, that came easy right because i came from that world being on the athlete side of things and then slowly i've been given more responsibilities from sort of cross-functional jobs so i now 
am heading up the event side of the company. So the Midnight Mile is a big part of that. So I get to learn to interact with all of the different branches of the brand and people that are way higher up. I have to ask them to do jobs and so you're like tentatively, excuse me, John, will you please do this for me? And you're waiting. And they're like, yeah, I'm sure to, I'm sure to happy, happy to help you out sort of stuff. So that's been really fun. Like I've watched The Office my whole life as like one of my favorite TV shows, but I had no idea what it was really like. So I get to like actually see what this world that has existed for so many, I never knew really what it was like on the inside. Well, full disclosure, Matt, Matt Taylor, the founder of Tracksmith, he was a freshman when I was a senior in college. So Matt's like a little brother. If you need, if you, if you need to tell Matt what to do, just call me up. I'll tell him what to do. But also knowing Matt, I can't see him running the office like the office TV show. I assume it's run a lot better than that. Also a little more laid back. Well, that's cool. I mean, it's there's always this. I think a lot of people don't plan life after running. And it sounds like it's great for you because you're, you've been able to incorporate running into that life. Well, I always thought, and my wife and I both thought that we would be entrepreneurs or people that want to be our own bosses because we'd been doing it for so long in the professional running world. But there's a, there's a sense of like freedom and like saying, okay, I don't have to always make the ultimate decision and actually just learn. I feel like I'm back at university to a degree, right? Um, except the stuff that we're working on and the projects, they actually have a real world implication. Um, whereas when you're in college, the professor grades it and then chucks it out. Um, so that's, that's been, there's a humility, which I've actually really embraced and enjoyed. And, um, hopefully I'll transition into being a more confident and assertive person in an appropriate way as I become more established in my career. But, um, at the moment I'm just really enjoying being on the sort of learning side of things. Sounds fun. And since I mentioned Kiprop, it's funny. I go back and forth on this whole drug thing from being super jaded to not jaded. But there's this like whole contingent. Well, this whole Shelby Houlihan thing. I don't know. No one's still giving me a good reason, even if she was doping, like why or how it worked. So I'm like, I'm open to the possibility she still had tainted meat. Most likely, probably not. I don't even need to put a percentage on it. But some of these people... They're so confident, essentially everyone running fast is doping. And I'm like, that's a terrible argument. I was good enough to know what I ran to think guys can run way faster than that. It's clean. So at your level, the sub-330 level, what percent of guys do you think are clean? I've never, ever, even in my most cynical times, judged whether people are doping based on their performances. It's more about their associations or the history behind it. And so... If someone was in a certain training group that had had a dodgy coach that had had many people test positive before, or they ran for a federation that was notorious for having people get popped left, right, and center, and it was almost like a a government or a federation sort of controlled doping program. And it was very easy once you're on the inside to know when that's happened. There are coaches or agents that have been banned from the sport that still show up at hotels next to the stadiums where the big meets are. They may not be staying in the official meet hotel, but they're staying in another one. And then we'll go stay at that same hotel because my I'm bringing my wife and kids, so we need to have our own apartment or whatever. And then you'll see three or four athletes come in and they're staying with their coach who's banned from the sport. Like, why are they doing that? And then it's easy to put two and two together, right? I do think that um, the sport was a lot dirtier in the 90s and early 2000s than it is today i think it's become fewer and farther between how frequently that happens and i think the internet and 
social media and just people's knowledge. It's harder for people to have these sort of hidden corners of the world where they can sort of hide away and get it done. But perhaps that makes it even more um, obvious for people to, or they can get the advantage because there are less people doping. But I also think there's, I don't want to call it gray area, but I think science has got to the point where people have figured out ways to get almost, if not the same um, physiological benefits out of other approaches to training and um, whatever science they are assigned to that to almost create the same result as EPO as well. And that's like the use of altitude and altitude tents and all the other stuff that people seem to max out um, that I don't have a, a full understanding of. And that's, that's where I find it really hard to, to know, like, should I be angry about those people or are they being smart? That that's where you sort of bounce on either side. Makes sense. I think if I just watched the sport and assumed everyone who ran fast is dirty, what's the point? I think I would have to quit watching. As a fan, I would have to give up. So I'm glad you're in the same boat as me. But I I know there's people on Let's Run, and they're just like, everybody's dirty. I'm like, why do you even follow it? Or if you do follow it, why would you care? I could see some people. I watch NFL. I could really care less what the people are taking. I like the game. It's fun. It doesn't hurt me at the core like in track and field when I think someone's doping. Yeah, people come back from a doping suspension in baseball and the crowd cheers in the first time they're at bat again. <laughs> I think I did that once for my Nelson Cruz, the Texas Rangers. <laughs> my apologies. And Kiprop, do you welcome him back into the sport? Also, that guy, I just loved how that guy ran. And I remember, I think, sort of talking to you at some point. And you didn't, you know, you don't know anything, but you, I, I kind of got the impression you thought something might have been up. And it's been shown. He still says he's innocent, but whatever. But why would a guy like that need to dope? I swear, if anyone on this planet was built to run, it was that guy. He just looks like a gazelle to me. I will say that when I was at my most cynical time, now I do believe that Kiprop was banned rightfully. So I, I do believe that he was guilty. But before that happened, way beforehand, I happened to be in London and I I knew Ricky Sims, the agent of Bolton, all of the um, the American athletes now that use him, but I knew him from when he was before it, he was an agent. So I went up and caught up with him and I said, Hey Ricky, like what's your take on Kip Rob? Like surely he's dirty, right? And he says, no, Nick, if there was anyone who's capable of doing that clean, it's him. And he knew all of the Kenyans at the time. Cause he, that his agency had mo- most of the stable of Kenyans. He didn't manage Kip Rob himself. So that always for a longest time, I sort of backed that, um, that view set to that mindset, not to just always, um, yeah, just assume my personal wish is that I would, it'd be, there's a guilty part of me that wishes that guys like Kiprop and there were so many good runners, um, that I feel like the younger runners have it a little easier today when in the 2016 year or 2015, I remember finishing seventh in the Monaco 1500, and I ran 329.50 or something. And I was just like beside myself. I went up to Mark Rowland. He was the first person I saw. And I was like, really? Like, what do you have to do? Like, I think six guys ran 328. And I feel like it'd be humble. I'd like to see those guys in the new shoes humble some of the guys that are um, running some fast times just for my own personal satisfaction. But deep down, I, it's it's nice to know that it's a cleaner sport. So the the few that are super talented are able to shine. 
Do you think even in the, what these last five years, it's gotten a lot cleaner? Is testing better, or what do you think is going on? Yeah, I definitely think there are less Kenyans that I'm dominating on the circuit. I was watching a race the other day, and I have no idea whether this guy was doping or not, but probably the most unknown name that anyone will ever remember in the sport of the mile is Heron Katani. He won the Prefontaine Mile in 348. Have you ever heard of him before? I know him because I raced against him, but very few other people would even remember this dude. Um, there used to be people every couple of months. There would be like six or seven Kenyans, and like the trials for the 1500 meters at the Kenyan trials was way harder than the Olympic final. Whereas now there's no, normally only one or two really strong Kenyans, and then it drops off quite strongly after that. So I think the 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 doping control is catching up there. It's crazy. There used to just be. I feel like anybody could run 331. I don't know, five or six years ago, like you said. You were running 329, guys are running around 330 and just getting clobbered in races. And something's definitely changed. And Because now you have the better shoes. In a 330 race, what sort of difference do you think the shoe makes now? I think it is less advantageous to the top people as it is for the slower runners because I think people like Matt Centurits, um, who has really perfect running form, gets less benefit than somebody like... Um, Who's the other woman in his training group? Schweitzer, is, is it her name? Yeah, Carissa Schweitzer. Carissa Schweitzer. I think she gets huge benefit because her form's so horrible. She's a fantastic runner, but like the shoes help bring everything back to be in neutral form and get all the power through. Where Centra already had perfect form, and so the benefit is going to be not as great. Jeff Burns, my training partner, you know him well. He's sort of done all of the research on all these shoes. Jeff Burns was telling me that if you get runners onto a, a force plate and you get the readings of that, every runner has their own unique pattern. It's like a fingerprint, right? But if you get everyone into the new super shoe technology and you put them over the plate, you can't differentiate. That's almost uniform the way that the pressure gets pushed through and it brings everyone back into the center through the center of their foot stride. So it basically allows all of the people that don't have perfect running form to have perfect um contact time on the ground and the, the way that they get their force off the ground so yeah i think that it's it's not a case of everyone getting the equal benefit by any stretch of the imagination and you could run in any brand spike right me right now yeah i can wear any, anything yep do you find a huge difference in the brands uh i've only tried the new balance ones and the nike ones they're different like the ones that most people wear the nike ones what are they the not the ones with the air pocket but the regular ones that most people wear see i land and they have this rocker right under sort of where the the bridge of your um or where your knuckles are underneath your foot and the idea is that people who land flat-footed it pushes them forward and rocks them forward Whereas I land in front of that already, so I actually land, and then it brings me back. It like sucks me back into it, so I actually don't feel like that beneficial to my particular running form. So what have you been racing in? I just try a bunch of different stuff. Sometimes I wear my old Reeboks. <laughs> but no, I'm going to wear the New Balance um, ones this for this race because it's at the New Balance Track and Field Center at the Armory, so it's important that we like respect there and like give some marketing benefit to their facility since we're we're renting it out for the night hey unless they're paying you i'm sure you're free to wear whatever you want but hey it's you know you got to support this if you're neutral and you can support the sponsors kind of supporting the facility you should do it 
I do like the look of the new um, Saucony ones um, that I saw James Randon wear. Most people don't know who James is. He's a good friend of mine, but he ran a 749 3K at BU last week, and they look really nice. So I'd be curious to try those ones out as well. Another Yale runner, James Randon. That's right. Much faster than me and Matt. But <laughs> Well, hopefully, yeah, the New Balance shoes are very fast on New Year's Eve and I hope I'm there and a bunch of other Let's Run people because it really does sound like a cool event. I told Matt, I'm like, will you care if Let's Run just announces that we're going to like sponsor some prize for like the fastest mile in the world every January 1st because it's just a cool event. Every New Year's Eve, go New Year's Day, go run a mile. Like start your year outright, see where you're at. Gives people something to motivate and it's a, it's a, like a measuring stick, right? Now I have to go faster than 359.99 this year. <laughs> <laughs> 359.7 is what my coach is predicting. So that's that's the goal. It's going to be bloody close, though. All right. Well, we can have everybody in, inside there, like, you know, breathing or waving fans or something to help you down the home stretch. No, I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Weldon. All right. Looking forward to it. Ciao. You got to take care of yourself this holiday season. And that means getting electrolytes without the junk. You don't need sugar in your electrolytes. So you got to try. Drink LMNT today. Hundreds of you have taken advantage of this offer. You go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run and you get a sample pack sent your way with six different flavors. You pay $5 shipping. If you don't like it, I will personally refund your five bucks. No one has taken me up on that offer. You know why? Because let's runners love this stuff. I bumped into one of you yesterday in the city. You said, hey, I tried Element and I love it. Check it out today. And then you can worry about everyone else on your Christmas list.